Hello there, and welcome to tonight's episode of Down to Sleep. Tonight, a reading of The Secret Garden by Francis Hodgson Burnett to help you get down to sleep. If you would like to hear this reading with relaxing rain sounds in the background, that is up on YouTube right now at youtube.com slash down to sleep. You can find all of the links that you need for this podcast and all of the different places you can listen in the info for this episode. Thank you for joining me tonight. This is the free version of the podcast. If you would like to hear more than 280 readings and get two new episodes at least every week, then join me at patreon.com slash down to sleep. It's just a few dollars a month to support the podcast and get all of the episodes delivered straight to your app of choice, including Spotify. If you're unable to, please do not worry. It is absolutely my pleasure to read to you and to help you get down to sleep tonight. Please consider leaving a positive review or a nice comment to help others find the podcast. Let's go ahead and tuck you in. Take a nice deep breath for me. And let's get down to sleep. Mary ran so fast that she was rather out of breath when she reached her room. Her hair was ruffled on her forehead, and her cheeks were bright pink. Her dinner was waiting on the table, and Martha was waiting near it. "'Thar's a bit late,' she said. "'Where's thou been?' "'I've seen Dickon,' said Mary. "'I've seen Dickon.' "'I knew he'd come,' said Martha exultantly. "'How does thou like him?' I think, I think he's beautiful, said Mary, in a determined voice. Martha looked rather taken aback, but she looked pleased too. Well, she said, he's the best lad as ever was born, but us never thought he was handsome. His nose turns up too much. I like it to turn up, said Mary. And his eyes is so round, said Martha, a trifle doubtful. Though they're a nice colour. I like them round, said Mary. And they are exactly the colour of the sky over the moor. Martha beamed with satisfaction. Mother says he made them that colour, with always looking up at the birds in the clouds. But he has got a big mouth, hasn't he now? I love his big mouth said Mary obstinately. I wish mine were just like it. Martha chuckled delightedly. It'll look rare and funny in thy bit of a face, she said. But I knowed it would be that way when thou saw him. How did thou like the seeds and the garden tools? How did you know he bought them? asked Mary. Eh, hey, I never thought of him not bringing them. He'd be sure to bring them if they was in Yorkshire. He's such a trusty lad. Mary was afraid that she might begin to ask difficult questions, but she did not. She was very much interested in the seeds and gardening tools, and there was only one moment when Mary was frightened. This was when she began to ask where the flowers were to be planted. Who did they ask about it? she inquired. I haven't asked anybody yet said Mary, hesitating. Well, I wouldn't ask the head gardener. He's too grand, Mr. Roaches. 
I've never seen him, said Mary. I've only seen undergardeners and Ben Weatherstaff. If I was you, I'd ask Ben Weatherstaff, advised Martha. He's not half as bad as he looks, for all he's so crabbed. Mr. Craven lets him do what he likes, because he was here when Mrs. Craven was alive, and he used to make her laugh. She liked him. Perhaps he'd find you a corner somewhere out of the way. If it was out of the way, and no one wanted it, no one could mind my having it, could they? Mary said anxiously. There wouldn't be no reason, answered Martha. He wouldn't do no harm. Mary ate her dinner as quickly as she could, and when she rose from the table she was going to run to her room to put on her hat again, but Martha stopped her. I've got something to tell you, she said. I thought I'd let you eat your dinner first. Mr. Craven came back this morning, and I think he wants to see you. Mary turned quite pale. Oh, she said. Why? Why? He didn't want to see me when I came. I heard Pitcher say he didn't. Well, explained Martha. Mrs. Medlock says it's because of Mother. She was walking to Thwaite Village and she met him. She'd never spoke to him before. But Mrs. Craven had been to our cottage two or three times. He'd forgot, but Mother hadn't. And she made bold to stop him. I don't know what she said to him about you, but she said something has put him in the mind to see you before he goes away again tomorrow. Oh, cried Mary. Is he going away tomorrow? I'm so glad. He's going for a long time. He mayn't come back till autumn or winter. He's going to travel in foreign places. He's always doing it. Oh, I'm so glad. So glad, said Mary thankfully. If he did not come back until winter, or even autumn, there would be time to watch the secret garden come alive. Even if he found out then and took it away from her, she would have had that much at least. When do you think he'll want to see... She did not finish the sentence, because the door opened, and Mrs. Medlock walked in. She had on her best black dress and cap, and her collar was fastened with a large brooch with a picture of a man's face on it. It was a coloured photograph of Mr. Medlock, who had died years ago, and she always wore it when she was dressed up. She looked nervous and excited. "'Your hair's rough,' she said quickly. "'Go and brush it. Martha, help her to slip in best dress. Mr. Craven sent me to bring her to him in study.' All the pink left Mary's cheeks. Her heart began to thump, and she felt herself changing into a stiff, plain, silent child again. She did not even answer Mrs. Medlock, but turned and walked into her bedroom, followed by Martha. She said nothing while her dress was changed and her hair brushed, and after she was quite tidy, 
she followed Mrs. Medlock down the corridors in silence. What was there for her to say? She was obliged to go and see Mr. Craven, and he would not like her, and she would not like him. She knew what he would think of her. She was taken to a part of the house she had not been into before. At last, Mrs. Medlock knocked at a door, and when someone said, Come in, they entered the room together. A man was sitting in an armchair before the fire, and Mrs. Medlock spoke to him. This is Miss Mary, sir, she said. You can go and leave her here. I'll ring for you when I want you to take her away, said Mr. Craven. When she went out and closed the door, Mary could only stand waiting, a plain little thing, twisting her thin hands together. She could see that the man in the chair was not so much a hunchback as a man with high, rather crooked shoulders, and he had black hair streaked with white. He turned his head over his high shoulders and spoke to her. "'Come here,' he said. Mary went to him. He was not ugly. His face would have been handsome if it had not been so miserable. He looked as if the sight of her worried and fretted him, and as if he did not know what in the world to do with her. "'Are you well?' he asked. "'Yes,' answered Mary. "'Do they take good care of you?' "'Yes.' He rubbed his forehead fretfully as he looked her over. "'You are very thin,' he said. "'I'm getting fatter,' Mary answered, in what she knew was her stiffest way. What an unhappy face he had. His black eyes seemed as if they scarcely saw her, as if they were seeing something else, and he could hardly keep his thoughts upon her. "'I forgot you,' he said. "'How could I remember you? "'I intended to send you a governess or a nurse or someone of that sort, but I forgot.' "'Please,' began Mary.' please, and then the lump in her throat choked her. What do you mean to say? he inquired. I am, I am too big for a nurse, said Mary. And please, please don't make me have a governess yet. He rubbed his forehead again and stared at her. That was what the Sowerby woman said, he muttered absent-mindedly. Then Mary gathered a scrap of courage. I is she, is she Martha's mother? She stammered. Yes, I think so, he replied. Sh she knows about children, said Mary. She has twelve. She knows. He seemed to rouse himself. What do you want to do? I want to play out of doors, Mary answered, hoping her voice did not tremble. 
I never liked it in India. It makes me hungry here, and I'm getting fatter. He was watching her. Mrs. Sowerby said it would do you good. Perhaps it will, he said. She thought you had better get stronger before you had a governess. It makes me feel strong when I play, and the wind comes over the moor, argued Mary. Where do you play? he asked next. Everywhere, gasped Mary. Martha's mother sent me a skipping rope. I skip and run, and I look about to see if things are beginning to stick up out of the earth. I don't do any harm. Don't look so frightened, he said in a worried voice. You could not do any harm, a child like you. You may do what you like. Mary put her hand up to her throat, because she was afraid he might see the excited lump which she felt jump into it. She came a step nearer to him. May I? she said tremulously. Her anxious little face seemed to worry him more than ever. Don't look so frightened, he exclaimed. Of course you may. I am your guardian, though I am a poor one for any child. I cannot give you time or attention. I am too ill and wretched and distracted. But I wish you to be happy and comfortable. I don't know anything about children. But Mrs. Medlock is to see that you have all you need. I sent for you today because Mrs. Sowerby said I ought to see you. Her daughter had talked about you. She thought you needed fresh air, freedom, and running about. She knows all about children, Mary said again, in spite of herself. She ought to, said Mr. Craven. I thought her rather bold to stop me on the moor, but she said Mrs. Craven had been kind to her. It seemed hard for him to speak his dead wife's name. She is a respectable woman. Now I have seen you, I think she said sensible things. Play out of doors as much as you like. It's a big place. You may go where you like, and amuse yourself as you like. Is there anything you want? As if a sudden thought had struck him. Do you want toys? Books? Dolls? Might I? quavered Mary. Might I have a bit of earth? In her eagerness she did not realise how queer the words would sound, and that they were not the ones she had meant to say. Mr. Craven looked quite startled. Earth, he repeated. What do you mean? To plant seeds in. To make things grow. To see them come alive. Mary faltered. He gazed at her a moment and passed his hand quickly over his eyes. Do you care about garden so much, he said slowly. I didn't know about them in India, said Mary. I was always ill and tired, and it was too hot. I sometimes made little beds in the sand, 
and stuck flowers in them, but here it is different. Mr. Craven got up and began to walk slowly across the room. A bit of earth, he said to himself, and Mary thought that somehow she must have reminded him of something. When he stopped and spoke to her, his dark eyes looked almost soft and kind. You can have as much earth as you want, he said. You remind me of someone else who loved the earth and things that grow. When you see a bit of earth you want, with something like a smile, take it, child, and make it come alive. May I take it from anywhere, if it's not wanted? Anywhere, he answered. There, you must go now, I'm tired. He touched the bell to call Mrs. Medlock. Goodbye, I shall be away all summer. Mrs. Medlock came so quickly that Mary thought she must have been waiting in the corridor. Mrs. Medlock, Mr. Craven said to her, Now I have seen the child, I understand what Mrs. Sowerby meant. She must be less delicate before she begins lessons. Give her simple, healthy food. Let her run wild in the garden. Don't look after her too much. She needs liberty and fresh air and romping about. Mrs. Sowerby's to come and see her now and then, and she may sometimes go to the cottage. Mrs. Medlock looked pleased. She was relieved to hear that she did not need to look after Mary too much. She had felt her tiresome charge, and had indeed seen as little of her as she dared. In addition to this, she was fond of Martha's mother. "'Thank you, sir,' she said. "'Susan Sowerby and me went to school together. "'She's as sensible and good-hearted a woman as you'd find in a day's walk. "'I never had any children myself, and she's had twelve. "'And there never was healthier or better ones. "'Miss Mary can get no harm from them. "'I'd always take Susan Sowerby's advice about children myself. "'She's what you might call healthy-minded, if you understand me.' "'I understand.' Mr. Craven answered. Take Miss Mary away now, and send Pitcher to me. When Mrs. Medlock left her, at the end of her own corridor, Mary flew back to her room. She found Martha waiting there. Martha had, in fact, hurried back after she had removed the dinner service. I can have my garden, cried Mary. I may have it where I like. I'm not going to have a governess for a long time. Your mother's coming to see me, and I may go to your cottage. He says a little girl like me could not do any harm, and I may do what I like. Anywhere. Eh, said Martha delightedly. That were nice of him, wasn't it? Martha, said Mary solemnly. He is really a nice man. Only... His face is so miserable, and his forehead is all drawn together. She ran as quickly as she could to the garden. She had been away so much longer than she thought she should, and she knew Dickon would have to set out early on his five-mile walk. 
when she slipped through the door and the ivy. She saw he was not working where she had left him. The gardening tools were laid together under a tree. She ran to them, looking all round the place, but there was no Dickon to be seen. He'd gone away, and the secret garden was empty, except for the robin, who had just flown across the wall and sat on a standard rosebush watching her. He's gone, she said woefully. Was he, was he, was he only a wood fairy? Something white fastened to the standard rosebush caught her eye. It was a piece of paper. In fact, it was a piece of the letter she had printed for Martha to send to Dickon. It was fastened on the bush with a long thorn, and in a minute she knew Dickon had left it there. There were some roughly printed letters on it and a sort of picture. At first, she could not tell what it was. Then she saw it was meant for a nest with a bird sitting on it. Underneath were the printed letters, and they said, I will come back. Mary took the picture back to the house when she went to her supper, and she showed it to Martha. Eh? said Martha with great pride. Never knew our Dickon was as clever as that. That there's a picture of a missile thrush on a nest, as large as life and twice as natural. Then Mary knew Dickon had meant the picture to be a message. He had meant that she might be sure he would keep her secret. Her garden was her nest, and she was like a missile thrush. Oh, how she did like that queer common boy. She hoped he would come back the very next day, and she fell asleep looking forward to the morning. But you never know what the weather will do in Yorkshire, particularly in the springtime. She was awakened in the night by the sound of rain, beating with heavy drops against her window. It was pouring down in torrents, and the wind was wuthering round the corners and in the chimneys of the huge old house. Mary sat up in bed and felt miserable and angry. The rain is as contrary as I ever was, she said. It came because it knew I did not want it. She threw herself back on her pillow and buried her face. She did not cry, but she lay and hated the sound of the heavily beating rain. She hated the wind and its wuthering. She could not go to sleep again. The mournful sound kept her awake because she felt mournful herself. If she had felt happy, it would probably have lulled her to sleep. How it wuthered, how the big raindrops poured down and beat against the pane. It sounds just like a person, lost on the moor, wandering on and on, crying, she said. She had been lying awake, 
turning from side to side for about an hour, when suddenly something made her sit up in bed and turn her head toward the door listening. She listened and she listened. It isn't the wind now, she said in a loud whisper. That isn't the wind. It's different. It is that crying I heard before. The door of her room was ajar, and the sound came down the corridor. A far-off, faint sound of fretful crying. She listened for a few minutes, and each minute she became more and more sure. She felt as if she must find out what it was. It seemed even stranger than the secret garden and the buried key. Perhaps the fact she was in a rebellious mood made her bold. She put her foot out of bed and stood on the floor. I'm going to find out what it is, she said. Everybody is in bed, and I don't care about Mrs. Medlock. I don't care. There was a candle by her bedside. She took it up and went softly out of the room. The corridor looked very long and dark, but she was too excited to mind that. She thought she remembered the corners she must turn to find the short corridor, with the door covered with the tapestry, the one Mrs. Medlock had come through the day she lost herself. The sound had come up that passage. So she went on, with her dim light, almost feeling her way, her heart beating so loud she fancied she could hear it. The far-off faint crying went on and led her. Sometimes it stopped for a moment or so, and then began again. Was this the right corner to turn? She stopped and thought. Yes, it was. Down this passage, and then to the left, then up two broad steps, and then to the right again. Yes, there was the tapestry door. She pushed it open, very gently, and closed it behind her. She stood in the corridor and could hear the crying quite plainly, though it was not loud. It was on the other side of the wall at her left, and a few yards farther on there was a door. She could see a glimmer of light coming from beneath it. The someone was crying in that room, and it was quite a young someone. She walked to the door and pushed it open, and there she was, standing in the room. It was a big room, with ancient, handsome furniture in it. There was a low fire glowing faintly on the hearth, and a nightlight burning by the side of a carved four-posted bed hung with brocade. And on the bed was lying a boy, crying fretfully. Mary wondered if she was in a real place, or if she had fallen asleep again and was dreaming without knowing it. 
The boy had a sharp, delicate face, the colour of ivory, and he seemed to have eyes too big for it. He had a lot of hair, which tumbled over his forehead in heavy locks, and made his thin face seem smaller. He looked like a boy who had been ill, but he was crying more as if he were tired and cross than as if he were in pain. Mary stood near the door, with her candle in her hand, holding her breath. She crept across the room, and as she drew nearer the light attracted the boy's attention, and he turned his head on his pillow and stared at her, his grey eyes opening so wide that they seemed immense. Who are you? he said at last in a half-frightened whisper. Are you a ghost? No, I am not, Mary answered, her own whisper sounding half-frightened. Are you one? He stared and stared and stared. Mary could not help noticing what strange eyes he had. They were agate grey, and they looked too big for his face because they had black lashes all round them. No, he replied after waiting a moment or so. I am Colin. Who's Colin? she faltered. I am Colin Craven. Who are you? I am Mary Lennox. Mr. Craven's my uncle. He's my father, said the boy. Your father? gasped Mary. No one ever told me he had a boy. Why didn't they? Come here, he said, still keeping his strange eyes fixed on her with an anxious expression. She came close to the bed, and he put out his hand and touched her. You are real, aren't you? he said. I have such real dreams very often. You might be one of them. Mary had slipped on a woolen wrapper before she left her room, and she put a piece of it between his fingers. Rub that. See how thick and warm it is? I'll pinch you a little if you like, to show you how real I am. For a minute I thought you might be a dream too. Where did you come from? he asked. From my own room? The wind wuthered, so I couldn't go to sleep, and I heard someone crying. I wanted to find out who it was. What were you crying for? Because I couldn't go to sleep either and my head ached. Tell me your name again. Mary Lennox. Did no one ever tell you I had to come to live here? He was still fingering the fold of her wrapper, but he began to look a little more as if he believed in her reality. No, he answered. They daren't. Why? asked Mary. "'cause I should have been afraid you would see me. "'I won't let people see me and talk me over.' "'Why?' Mary asked again, "'feeling more mystified every moment. 
because I'm like this always, ill and having to lie down. My father won't let people talk me over either. The servants are not allowed to speak about me. If I live, I may be a hunchback. But I shan't live. My father hates to think I may be like him. Oh, what a queer house this is, Mary said. What a queer house. Everything is a kind of secret. Rooms are locked up. Gardens are locked up. And you? Have you been locked up? No. I stay in this room because I don't want to be moved out of it. It tires me too much. Does your father come and see you? Mary ventured. Sometimes. Generally when I'm asleep. He doesn't want to see me. Why? Mary could not help asking again. A sort of angry shadow passed over the boy's face. My mother died when I was born, and it makes him wretched to look at me. He thinks I don't know, but I've heard people talking. He almost hates me. He hates the garden because she died, said Mary, half speaking to herself. What garden? the boy asked. Oh, just, just a garden she used to like, Mary stammered. Have you been here always? Nearly always. Sometimes I've been taken to places at the seaside, but I won't say because people stare at me. I used to wear an iron thing to keep my back straight, but a grand doctor came from London to see me and said it was stupid. He told them to take it off, keep me out in the fresh air. I hate fresh air, and I don't want to go out. I didn't when I first came here, said Mary. Why'd you keep looking at me like that? Because of the dreams that are so real, he answered rather fretfully. Sometimes, when I open my eyes, I don't believe I'm awake. We're both awake, said Mary. She glanced round the room with its high ceiling and shadowy corners and its dim firelight. It looks quite like a dream, and it's the middle of the night, and everybody in the house is asleep. Everybody but us. We are wide awake. I don't want it to be a dream, the boy said restlessly. Mary thought of something all at once. If you don't like people to see you, do you want me to go away? He still held the fold of the wrapper. He gave it a little pull. No, he said. I should be sure you were a dream if you went. If you were real, sit down on that big footstool and talk. I want to hear about you. Mary put down her candle and sat down on the cushion stool. 
she did not want to go away at all. She wanted to stay in the mysterious hidden-away room and talk to the mysterious boy. "'What do you want me to tell you?' she said. He wanted to know how long she had been at Misselthwaite. He wanted to know which corridor her room was on. He wanted to know what she had been doing. If she disliked the moor as he disliked it, where she had lived before she came to Yorkshire. She answered all these questions and many more, and he lay back on his pillow and listened. He made her tell him a great deal about India, about her voyage across the ocean. She found out that because he had been an invalid he had not learned things as other children had. One of his nurses had taught him to read when he was quite little, and he was always reading and looking at pictures in splendid books. Though his father rarely saw him when he was awake, he was given all sorts of wonderful things to amuse himself with. He never seemed to have been amused, however. He could have anything he asked for, and was never made to do anything he did not like to do. Everyone is obliged to do what pleases me, he said indifferently. Makes me ill to be angry. No one believes I shall live to grow up. He said it as if he was so accustomed to the idea that it had ceased to matter to him at all. He seemed to like the sound of Mary's voice. As she went on talking, he listened in a drowsy, interested way. She wondered once or twice if he were not gradually falling into a doze. And that is where we close the book tonight on this episode of The Secret Garden. Thank you for being here. Thank you for supporting me in this podcast. And until next time, good night.